This man comes in here with the wrong, the wrong region of the country. The wrong southeast emo is just sad banjo noises. Fuck yourself. Bro, I would absolutely listen to some uh southeast emo if it was like that, you know, math rock rhythms with like very twinkly banjos. Really twang twang on it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Made by made gotta... by Zoomers that are like upset that they live in the shit part of the country, dude. No, it's it's gonna it's gonna be made by like people who are moving from like once once you know even shit like like Nashville gets too big and people got to move to places like Birmingham. That's when you're gonna start seeing Southeast emo really happen. It's gonna be all these fuckers who who thought like you know maybe like five years ago oh you know i'll move out to nashville or austin because it's like a, a decent sized city with some you know cheaper cheaper uh, land and rent and and food out there so i'll move from la or san francisco or seattle or or new york or boston to one of those places and then that shit's gonna get just dreary as fuck and they're gonna be like damn man this is not what i thought it was and so people are gonna start moving to fucking mobile and shit I was Definitely gonna say Southeast I was Vietnam. gonna say Huntsville. <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> closer to Nashville, but not you know not too far away. Maybe they have family in Nashville, but then they go to fucking Huntsville, like because that's yeah, that's where you'd go. Yeah, fucking fucking um um fucking no, Louisville's Midwest, right? We put Louisville in Midwest. Uh no, I wouldn't. Really? They're not. Uh, I mean. Midwest, Midwest. I don't know about culture. I don't know the culture of those fucking. I don't know about that. Like, yeah, it's the mountain range, but also it's it's Kentucky. Like, Kentucky was Confederacy, man. Like, yeah, they're but not, they're southern. But I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't no. say that Louisville is southern. All right, Louisville's in like the like northern Louisville's like buffer zone of Kentucky. Um, I I'm I'm calling it Midwest because. You know, like Midwest emo is usually associated with bands from like fucking like Chicago suburbs and stuff. Um, but um, the uh, you know there was a really, really uh, influential post-hardcore scene up in Louisville because that's where Slint's from. There's a lot of stuff happening around there that fed into a lot of the mathier Midwest emo stuff. You know, just on that basis, maybe they are a little culturally like relevant to to Midwest and stuff. So I'd say like maybe the top half. Like maybe Louisville is, but Lexington is sure not. No, 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 not at all. No, Lexington <laughs> is fucking south. <laughs> Bozos are definitely southern, way more so than Louisville. I mean, they're on the same river as Kentucky and stuff, or not as Kentucky as Cincinnati, which is obviously they are a Midwest city. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you for a fact right now, I probably could not spot Cincinnati on a map. Well, I got Google Maps up, so fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Go fuck yourself. So, uh, so this is this is this is the soundboardless late night edition of. Yeah, I mean, I I got in. And I was like, it's already you know. Wagey edition. Seven fifty. Um, so if we if we got to do like an early one, you know, just let me know if we got to if we're we're getting on pace to where we got to wrap things up and. I'll, I'll rush through whatever because I don't have too much to talk about tonight anyway. Yeah, I, uh, I, I've, I've only got like a couple extra, like stuff that you know was really relevant. Like, I mean, last week I was at like my mom and my dad's place, and got a. I mean, the only thing that came from that is I'm getting this freaking guitar pretty soon, pretty pretty soon. 
I tried on tried uh, two guitars. He's got a he's got a Telecaster and a Strat, and uh, he was he was really making out the difference between the string spacing. And I asked them what the dimensions were, and one was an inch and an inch and uh, eleven sixteenths, and then an inch and five eighths. There is like almost no difference between the two of those. Like it is so minute. It is one sixteenth of an inch of difference. I'm like, bro. And even playing, I'm like, like maybe a little bit. I'm still way too bad for that to matter. So like, I'm just dicking around with it. Yeah, your your dad is definitely more of like a gear nerd, uh, and that's the kind of stuff. Like, I I don't know too much about it in terms of instruments, but you know, from from stuff I followed around headphones back in the day, where people are talking about these like very minute differences in in their equipment and stuff. It's like this isn't this doesn't make a difference to the average person. Like, we it's not it's not going to matter. It's just stuff for you to talk about so you can talk about it. He is a very old head gear nerd, very much knowledgeable about all this stuff he was going on about you know obviously i know that you can play like different chords or no the same chord like three four different ways because the guitar you know the the length of the of the head and stuff is so big that you can and i and that you can play like the single note obviously the very basic or you can do the power chord stuff and he was going on and i'm like i just need like four or five like practice repetition stuff and I was doing some of the power chords pretty well, kind of near the end of it. But it's like, I still got to like, I've got to get better with my strum hand, like the better just positioning and I guess wrist positioning. And then I guess I asked him, like, where should I be looking? Like, should I be? I mean, I think it's more the strum. And I, at first, I didn't think that I would think that it's more the that it's the strings with my left hand. But as I was kind of going on, I'm like, yeah, it seems like a little bit more natural that you'd look at the strum hand. And then there's like very good people that don't look at anything and they just stick around. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it kind of depends on what you're playing too and, and how you're playing it. Like, especially um, from just like the, if I'm, if I'm playing a little bit of bass, like if I'm uh, like uh, using a pick, then I'm usually looking more at the strings because I'm not, changing string all too often mm-hmm. um, but if i'm like playing with my fingers if i'm plucking the strings then yeah i'm definitely looking a lot more at my hands to make sure that i'm, I'm doing the right thing <laughs> yeah that's fair um but yeah i mean nothing else i'm just gonna get that guitar soon i'm pretty pumped about that i'm gonna mess around with that for gonna make that my time hole and also tomorrow night probably tomorrow night i'm submitting my first thesis draft to my professor this is where I, I edit in the applause. Sound. Yeah, you gotta put the you gotta edit in the time and then the applause. <laughs> <laughs> so, other than that, I uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna mix it. I'm gonna throw in my album first because I've just been looking at it on the ROIM page. I knew that there was some funky instruments on this album. Uh, it's actually an EP. It's not an album. Uh, this EP is by a Korean band called Jambanai. I don't know how you say it in Korean. Sorry, guys. Um, we've got uh, it, the EP is called Apparition, and it was released in 2022. These guys uh, have put out some albums, 2012, 2016, and 2019. And uh, now they've put out an EP. And it is about 20... I got to pull up a different page. I got one for the instrumental accreditations and then one for the ep 26 and a half minutes 
It's a long-ish EP. There are some very short EPs out there. This is not one of them. This is like the, the gray area between long EP and short album. But it's only four songs. Four songs. So first off, we've talked about esoteric instruments before. What do you have uh, to say about esoteric instruments? Big fan? Um, I, I have mixed opinions on esoteric instruments. Um, I know when we were watching a bunch of YouTube videos with some, some uh, esoteric stuff, we, we started talking about um, when it's, uh, botanist a little for a little while, which is the uh, black gaze band that uses uh, the, the one man band black gaze project that uses a, a hammered dulcimer instead of a guitar. And it's kind of cheesy. It's like kind of original, but it's like, yeah, bro, it's, it's, it's kind of gimmicky. Um, so it can depend. It can really depend. I've heard a, a, a Koto on a few different songs. Um, I think McCoy Tyner was playing one on Sahara for a little bit, uh, not the song, the album. Um, and that, that was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, it, it really, it can go either way. So we've got a we've got a couple of them on this album. The uh, the lead the lead person Shim Oinyong uh, is credited for two. Now the Glockenspiel is not necessarily oh. esoteric, is it? It's not. It's, it's not esoteric, but that's like a that's like a uh, like the bells you would hear in like a marching band. Yeah, those are on here, or yeah, they are on here a little bit. Um, they, they have a couple people that do a couple instruments, um, most notably the one coming later. There is a Geomungo. Now, this one is esoteric. This one is is going deep in. A Geomungo is kind of like a hammered dulcimer, uh, but it's sitting and you pluck. It's a plucked string instrument from the 5th century, and it is a traditional Korean instrument. So... They're, they got they got images from artwork from a long time ago of of you know cave painting to you know that shit that you've seen in history class of like East Asian drawings where it's got that specific type of oil and it's on like the yellowest paper you've ever seen yeah yeah it's we, we got people that play those that's on the Wikipedia page um a lot of these a lot of the couple of the instruments actually have come from China this one this one appears to be very uniquely korean now if you're going to ask me what the difference is i'm going to say i don't know but this one's got 11 strings on it and i reckon that some of those other sittings like stringed instruments do not have 11 strings also this thing is this thing is pretty big like this thing's i don't know if i can get a length measurement on oh i can 63 inches long or 64 inches long that is over five feet long this is this is a very this is a long boy here. Yeah. So wait, they play this standing up or sitting down? No, sitting down. Okay. Okay. Yeah, they play this one sitting down. Typically, I mean, you think the the one image I have is like a person sitting at one side of it. I'm like, how are, how are you going to get to the other side, man? But it's a plucked <laughs> instrument, so so they're not doing string like a normal guitar would be. They're they're just plucking it. But I uh, I do not. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. No, I look at it now. It's easy. You can just sit at one side. You just sit at the, the one side that I'm sending to you now that has kind of like the hammers, I suppose, that are on it. Because one side is where the tension is, and I guess you just kind of pick at it however you want. Um, but that is what we got. That is the first person. 
The second person is credited, uh, Lee Il-Woo is credited with a guitar and a eerie. And I say that because there's an apostrophe between the P and the I-R-I. So a Piri, bro, you know those chi- you know those old Chinese movies with those flutes and stuff at the beginning? It's mm-hmm. like, you know, yeah. bro, it's literally that. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, I don't know. It's like an adapted version of that, like for the Korean culture. But it says that it originates from China. And it's a dual reed instrument, I want to say. Or it's a two. Oh, double read. Okay, double read instrument in folk and classical Korean, but it comes from um, it comes from the Chinese version. So this. All right, was, wait, wait. I'm gonna I'm gonna be ignorant here for a second. So all right, please what? excuse me, Korean listeners. Um, there were there like there was like where did where did the people in Korea come from? Like, did they like immigrate from China or was it just people always there? Like. Oh, I feel like people were always there. They, I mean, they, where did they, now, now maybe they went from China and, you know, developed differently over uh, some number of years, but isn't there, is there a mountain range that's, that cuts off Korea from China? Like, man, that would be, I mean, that's kind of one of the dead giveaways, I would say, as I, as I pull up Google Maps again, scroll all the way over. I know if you go, obviously, if you go like far enough back in time, like, uh, you know, people had to come there from somewhere, but I don't know, like, I I guess I'm just very, very ignorant of um, how the different Eastern Asian cultures developed and, and, you know, how long ago all that stuff took place. Well, um, there's a lot of years of war. (laughs) They really (laughs) fight a lot. They're uh, big on the whole fighting each other every hundred-ish or less years. Um, as far as how they, like, developed distinctly, like, as a people, or as, I don't know that there is much of a, like, a genetic difference between them as far as, like, you know, how far their genomes split across from some certain tree. But um, there's there's a bit of a difference there just from living apart for so long. There's a there's a river that goes across North Korea's border that, you know, was probably a do not cross this or you get speared a lot. <laughs> was, I mean, it was probably pretty accurate back then. Okay. I guess, you know, the reason I'm asking is because when you, when you bring up an instrument that is apparently a traditional Chinese instrument that shows up in Korean folk music, I was just wondering like, when did, when did those two things become different? Like what is like the common ancestor of Korean and, and Chinese folk music and like what makes, like when did an instrument become one thing rather than the other? Well, it uh, actually on the Wikipedia page, it says that the, that the Piri is, is the instrument and it was introduced to the Korean peninsula from China and has been used there as early as the Three Kingdoms period. Uh, Bro, what most... the fuck is that? What, am I no, supposed no, to know what the Three Kingdoms it period is? It says uh, like 57 BC to 668 AD. So, I mean, sometime in there they traded and they're just like, hey, we got this fucking stick with holes in it. It makes funny noises <laughs> if you blow in it. So, I mean, from then on, it just kind of... there uh, The states that it was popular in, I guess, on the Korean Peninsula... Were the were the north the northernmost one, which is like all of North Korea and honestly most of South Korea. But then South Korea was like three different states, and I don't know, man. People, it's just a stick, man. It's just a stick that you blow okay. into. So for for my fellow ignorant Western listeners, we'll just say it's it's somewhere 
like the beginning of this time period is somewhere in between like Socrates and Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty close to Jesus, maybe just a little bit after. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you said the beginning of it was like 57 BC or something like that. Yeah, but then the 668. So like, well, yeah, who I knows? Mean... <laughs> that's a pretty big range. True. Just like sometime around there. Um, <laughs> there, there's a third. Oh shit. Okay. I did not want. I did not look this one up because I just saw it. There's a third esoteric instrument in this band. It's called a hagium. H a e g e u m, and a hagium is. Like some fucking whack ass. I, uh, I don't know what this is. It says a bowed instrument. Um, maybe a picture of them playing it would be a little more helpful. But it's a. Uh, it looks like it's a string of some sort. Yeah, it's a bowed string instrument. Yeah. Okay. And it's it's yeah. It's like a violin almost. I mean, it's a quote unquote almost. So we got a traditional Korean stringed instrument here um, resembling a vertical fiddle with two strings derived from the Chinese. Okay, so it's. Oh, what the fuck? What if we we took a hammer and put some strings on it? (laughs) So this this like like instrument that it comes from like the Chinese one, but the Chinese, the only photo is like an artwork from like 10 not 10, 10 hundred, 1000 AD. Uh, like, we don't know, man. They're, they're just these instruments that have kind of survived. So this hagium is, is a, I don't know how you play this. I'm, I'm honestly looking at it. I'm dumbfounded. I don't know what's going on here. So uh, to expect me to know, pick it up uniquely in the song. Uh, yeah, tough. I'm sorry. It's not going to, not going to pan out so well. Um, but I will say, Getting to the album, I listened to this the first time, and I thought, "Damn, this is like really good." This guy on the flute's going insane, and uh, listened to it the second time, and I'm like, "This is all right. This is this is just pretty decent." Like the flute, the flute guy, the Peary, the Peary person is uh is going crazy for most of this. I gotta say, they're they're, I mean, you you listen to this. And like I said, you're you're plopped right into that Chinese movie with the stringed instrument or the not the string, the the reed instrument throughout the whole thing. And, you know, someone's playing on a on a very scenic mountaintop. And then you add in like then you add in a lot of post rock elements and a lot of like sparse guitar parts that are never more than three minutes long where the post rock gets to the good point and and. Bada bing, bada boom. You got this album right here. You got this EP. And uh, I gotta say, it was pretty. It's pretty interesting. It was a different. It was a different listen. It was a solid, different short listen. Um, I am. I'm personally. I'm. I'm dropping. Into, I'm dropping into three for the EP, uh, because I I I wanted more of the heavy stuff. There, those interlude the interludes for the heavy guitar part and the heavy bass parts are so fucking long. I mean, you're listening, you're you're listening to a flute solo for for a lot of this, my man. There, there's so much flute, and that um, what was it called? The Glockenspiel is a very constant, like three note. I mean, they play, they probably play three notes of the Glockenspiel the entire time, and and you'll know what I what I hear. Or you know what I'm saying when you hear it because it's throughout the entire first song. Um, 
They also have a, a sample song with Sunwoo Junga. Um, never heard of them in my life, but that was probably my favorite song on here because the crazy part is definitely above the rest of the stuff on this stuff on this album. It's I think this is where you get that boat instrument that just goes freaking insane. The, like the the um you can you so so if you're playing a fury and you're trying to alternate between two notes really quickly I think the the stringed instrument the hagium is going to do that a lot better and I think it does on this on this song because it's it's not like a constant switching between two notes it's like a it's like a sine wave instead of a, a binary wave a, or a duty cycle wave, if you know what that is. It's where the, where no it's just flat. Or okay, so if you're just if you're plotting over time, you'd have zero and you have one, and then you have two flat lines. Um, whereas you know a sine wave, you hit the entire range between the two. That's what the violin is doing, or the hagium is doing on this, and it sounds really whack with the guitar in the background. I gotta say when when stuff gets when stuff gets pretty loud so yeah this is this is a different this is a different take on on post rock because it's got some whack ass korean music uh i wish they did a little bit i wish they did a little bit more uh more heavy stuff though that's that's where i'm downgrading them but i mean was that just i don't know if you can downgrade it just because that was your expectation for it um i guess i, I don't know maybe i'm i'm not even criticizing the right thing here because i was i was thinking maybe you were just expecting heavier stuff so you're disappointed that you didn't get heavier stuff instead of just maybe like taking it for what it was but i don't know if that could just be like some kind of projection on my part um maybe maybe not um but i mean for a post-rock ep i expect some deliveries here i mean yeah of course a lot of the stuff is pretty drawn out as you expect it to be but I, I I don't know the atmosphere the atmosphere of the of the of the slower stuff the build up felt a lot longer than than what I was than what I was not not necessarily than what I was expecting but what I would even kind of prefer because you know you'd have continued four or eight counts where I mean one small additional thing was added in this build up and I'm like thinking like bro just get to it already i'm dying over here i'm 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 in a drought with this so uh yeah i probably would have just preferred it to be like, not necessarily that it was only my expectation but i just would have preferred it to be a little bit louder and, and i swear the loud parts do not ever go more than two and a half minutes maybe not even three because they they definitely do not they're not very sustained Damn. Yeah. But it is it's it's it is a different listen. If you're looking for some interesting post rock, uh, I would say definitely give this a listen because it is short. And you know, th- th- like what other post rock is getting made nowadays? Like not not a lot. I mean not a lot of um well known or, or interesting stuff, definitely. Yeah, I mean you, what you're gonna have to do is 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 look around for these for these uh artists from other countries that are kind of just kind of becoming more accessible to this, to these genres that are, that were popular in like the eighties and nineties in America. And let's say the Western sphere. Um, 
but now i mean you can pro- you could look all over and there's there's bands from all over the place that are making all sorts of stuff and i don't even include australia in that because they're like 20 years behind everyone like culturally <laughs> and stuff uh so yeah that's 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 my take on that i would say so, that this is solid what what is one country that you would be especially interested in hearing some sort of folk influenced post rock from i literally would have said korea i'm dead serious i would have <laughs> i would have 100 said korea and uh this make you know what maybe i just go listen to their albums how about that how about i just go listen to their albums what do you think about that idea i mean dude there's there's so much music out there you're really gonna spend time listening to more than one project by the same artist yeah i probably would like I'll, yeah, I'll probably no, I'll, call. I'll give a listen. To the, yeah, I mean these guys, their uh, their 2019 album has almost 2,000 ratings, so they're like mid tier. Their other genres are uh, sludge, atmospheric sludge, and uh, avant folk. Avant folk, I I would love to punch anyone that identifies as avant folk. Um, <laughs> you, I, a chainsaw, even perhaps. Uh, so yeah, I think I'll probably listen to their album. Like I would like to see. I would like to hear something that goes crazy, and I swear if this album is fifty and a half minutes of the same thing, uh, I'll be I'll be a bit upset, and then I'll probably I'll probably stop. But then, like you know, I'll still give them a chance. Like they could do something good here. Plus, this EP was not rated very high on ROAM for being like a a very small, you know let's say hipster genre of like post-rock people, you know, people in the post-rock love to rate their own very highly. This one's rated 200 ratings, three, three, three. That's yeah, that's, that's, that's in there. That's like, if it were, if it were being like normalized on, on a regular scale, um, like 2.5. Yeah. That's like dead in the middle of our (laughs) line. Absolutely. But I'd still give them a three because I like I like a lot of the stuff that they do. I just wish they did it better. <laughs> that's a fair. That's a, that's a fair. That's a fun way to put it, though. I get what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. So that is that is this band that is Jam Benai. That is the the Geo Mungo and the Piri and the Hagian players of Korea. And uh, thank you guys. Thank you for playing music on a fucking. 12th century Chinese flute. I appreciate it. Made me feel made me feel good. All right. What album? What what did you listen? Oh, you listened to Elder. You listened to a new Elder album. I did. Yeah. So I uh, did a very classic. Um, wow. I have nothing that I'm aware of that I'm super interested in right now. So I kind of just like scrolled around the charts for a little little while, but it's an aggressively terrible experience trying to find <laughs> recent releases on ROIM that are not like yeah. the, the, the paid for slots on the front page yeah. or, um, you know, just some other like random bullshit that you get by like clicking on a specific genre page, which I actually, I tried to do this with, I think the Avant folk page today. Cause I was like, okay, that, that sounds like it could be kind of an interesting genre of like somebody like dicking around with an acoustic guitar and just maybe like, uh, making some weird like vocals or something. I, I, I could have been into that, uh, but I could only get up to like the year 2004 on the recent releases for that or something. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what was going on there. Um, so I just kind of started 
Googling around like uh, what came out recently and please can I hopefully find something that's not like garbage top 40 shit. And then I saw, oh, Elder released an album. That's that's interesting. I, I, I like those guys. Um, I haven't listened to too much of their work. And I think the only thing that I'm re- that I was really familiar with before this was Reflections of a Floating World, which I want to say is their most popular release. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you know what you're getting into with with Elder. They're. Uh, their their artist tags say more than um i mean I'm, I'm pretty sure it would be the same stuff for any specific album just varying degrees of stoner metal heavy psych stoner rock progressive rock doom metal and psychedelic rock it's just that kind of very vague mix of like bass heavy kind of occasionally trippy uh but still you know uh having those in, intense guitar moments kind of stuff um, so if, if that sounds like something that you're interested in, then you probably just want to like, you could probably just run through Elder's entire discography. And I, I'm, from what I can tell between uh, Reflections of a Floating World, which came out in 2017, and Innate Passage, their new album, which came out this year, 2022. I mean, it's 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 the typical trajectory for this kind of band where maybe they they kind of, they have the same sound for their entire career, but it kind of smooths out over time because this was definitely less intense than Reflections of a Floating World, I would say. Uh, but that's not a bad thing. That's that's not a, a, a you know huge criticism or anything. Um, but again, you know if if you've heard anything like this, then you already like you can imagine the sound just by looking at the artwork and looking at the genre tags and and seeing the song lengths where this is a five song album that's 53 minutes long so the the songs all range from eight to 14 minutes so you know you're going to get generally fairly mid-tempo stuff that um they'll probably repeat the same riffs over and over again to get you in this sort of hypnotic trance-like psychedelic feeling um and if that sounds like something you're interested in, then this is going to be exactly up your alley. My experience with an eight pass by Elder. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was a good album. I'm not, you know, this is, this is in like that classic spot of like good release that I'm happy that I listened to. And that was fun and um, made me, uh, you know, I was, I was nodding my head. I'm, I'm, you know, I stayed really late at work today. So I'm sitting in my fucking dark ass office, uh, just banging away on the keyboard, doing some stuff and, you know, tapping my feet and nodding my head basically the whole time, you know, uh, the rhythms are super easy to get into the guitarist. I'm not sure what is his name here. Um, cause I do want to shout this guy out, but it doesn't, it doesn't say on the album page. So the band page, I guess it's, I don't know if it's the, uh, the lead singer or the other guitarist. I'm, I'm guessing it's the other, like the other guitarist, probably the lead guitarist, uh, Michael Risberg. Um, you know, he's got a good feel. He's, he's really got a good feel. He's not, he's not super flashy. Um, there's nothing, none of his solos are really like going to blow your mind or anything, but he can, he, he rides the groove, man. And that's, that's what you need to do when you're playing any kind of like stoner rock or stoner metal. Like it's cool if you can really shred and stuff, but at the, like it, it really doesn't matter that much as long as you know how to ride the groove. Um, so he's, he's, a uh, he's pretty good with that. Um, 
if I was going to give a shout out to um, any specific song, I would actually, I would actually say it's the first song that I like the best. Uh, Catastasis, it's called. Um, it starts out with this really light, uh, kind of twinkly echoed riff where, you know, it's like you're, you're taking that first hit of the joint, you know, where you're like, oh shit, okay, I'm starting to feel this. All right, okay. Uh, and then they just launch into that like classic, very dirty stoner guitar tone, which I think is actually the bass. And then you're like, okay, you know, now, now I'm high right now. Um, and there's, there's these, like the whole tone of the song feels like very optimistic and majestic, which can be cheesy. Um, uh, fan favorite, uh, not friends of the show um, who have a, a few good songs. I think uh, dream theater that's sort of like the the typical example of a very like cheesy prog metal prog rock band um these guys are not that elder do not get cheesy uh, and i bring up dream theater specifically because uh there's some keyboards that come in fairly early on in catastasis and this is this is my opinion on any any prog metal that has somebody playing those like you know sci-fi keyboards um if those are good then it's a good album if those are bad then it's a bad album it's that's all there is to it. it's gonna be really <laughs> bad no these these were good these were good keys these were very tasteful keys i was i was really happy that it was like pretty subdued you know it's not like some guys like trying to do like shreddy stuff on a keyboard he's like no just he's just feeling the groove man and that's that's all you need to do just for, you just need the texture that's what that's what prog keys are about is the texture if you can get that texture in without sounding too corny and wacky it's good and i think they succeeded with that here um there's also one of my not an esoteric instrument but um a lesser used instrument that also has potential to come off very cheesy if done wrong is uh the mellotron are you familiar with the mellotron i'm gonna guess that a mellotron is some like mixture of like an electric keyboard and something else that's yeah that's basically what it is um it's it is an electric keyboard that usually has this this very specific uh synthesized sound for it that you you don't want to play it like you would play uh, a regular keyboard uh, because I'm, I'm not I'm not sure the the terminology to even talk about this kind of thing, but it's like the the sound doesn't hit like right when you press the key like it would with like a piano or something. Um, it kind of like creeps in a little bit and and drags on, so you have to really take it easy when you're playing a mellotron if you try and get flashy with a mellotron it will sound like shit it will be terrible um so thankfully they avoided that this is some of the most tasteful mellotron that i've heard in a while part of that is because i have not heard very much mellotron in a while um the only other uh serious example of a mellotron that comes to my mind is on uh leaves turn inside you by unwound um 
there's there's two really great Mellotron uh, parts on that album. One of them is towards the end on an instrumental track called Radio Gras. Um, the thing that's like carrying the song there is a Mellotron. And then um, the other moment on that album is the opening track, We Invent You. Um, that really long drone that starts it out is actually a mix between a guitar feedback and a Mellotron. Um, so that's those, those, that's like the most tasteful Mellotron I've ever heard, but Elder do it pretty well. I've got a, I've, I just looked up the Mellotron and I listened, I listened to a couple quick videos. That's the shit that you put on the album when you're about to drop some really hot fucking lyrics and, and probably like a diss track. <laughs> that's like the opening. It might like sound very close to funeral bells, like made over the Mellotron. And that's when you drop some, that's when you drop the fire, the fire uh, bars right there. Yeah, a Mellotron can be but really it, dramatic. It sounds very dramatic. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I would definitely not play that like a normal piano. It's you just play it like a couple, you know, a couple notes, and I mean, really, really slow progressions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, another thought on this Elder album. I basically got two more thoughts on this because, again, this is not not the most like complex or or diverse album um i have not been getting much sleep the past couple of days yeah it's because you fucking work free <laughs> stupid bitch <laughs> i don't do it for free i'm, I'm not a janny um but I, I don't know how much sleep i got sunday night but i usually sleep pretty poorly on sunday anyway just because it's like i'm so relaxed for the entirety of that Sunday that I, I just don't really need too much sleep to, to function on a Monday, or at least I tell myself I don't. Um, but I think it's also just a thing of like, my body's just not very tired. So it, I have trouble like getting to sleep on Sunday nights. Um, so I, I probably got like four or five hours there. And then, um, yesterday, Monday, I said that I was going to get something done um, a, a project I'd been working on for a while, which I'd, I'll be able to get more into next week when it's finally actually going to be done. And I'm going to be so happy. Um, but it turned out that I was not able to get it done um, as fast as I thought I was going to, in part because I was waiting on some other people to do some things. And it's, it's fucking slow ass people. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no see whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I'm, I'm talking like I sent like the same email out to somebody three days in a row saying I need your approval before I can go forward on this. Because, you know, on the one hand, it's it's that person's department. So I don't want to mess around with their stuff without them knowing. But, you know, on the other hand, it's like, if I do this without approval, and something goes wrong, that's my ass. And I'm not having that. Mm -hmm. I'm, I would rather just do nothing and wait. Um, Absolutely. That's what you're so, going to do. That's the corporate world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, I ended up yesterday not getting it done and I had laundry to do and I had to go grocery shopping. So I told my boss, I'm like, Hey, um, it's not done yet, but, uh, I, I would stay and keep working on it, but I got things to do. So do you mind if I like take care of some stuff and then, uh, go work on it at home? And he was like, yeah, sure. Fine. Whatever. And, um, I, I did the things that I needed to do. And then I was like, oh, wait, I also have a movie I need to watch. 
So I tried to do work while I was also watching that movie, the movie that we're going to talk about after this. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I was very distracted by the movie. So I'll, oh, yeah. uh, that'll be a good prequel. Um, or um, what's the word? Foreshadowing for it. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I, I was basically up until about one um, doing a couple hours of work while I was, you know, half watching the movie, half working. And then I took a little bit of a nap and then I got up for another hour to keep working. And then I was like, no, there's just no way I'm, I'm, I'm like, my brain is just barely even functioning right now. So I'm just going to stop. Uh, so, you know, long story short, um, I ended up getting the bulk of it done today. Uh, but I was very tired by the end of today. So, what Elder made me remember, and I'm very thankful for them for this. Uh, sleep deprivation can be a little bit of a drug, man. It really yeah. can. Yeah, and it gets more potent the older you get. Not yeah. like other drugs where they work the opposite. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I am getting to uh, Endless Return on this Elder album. Uh, which I, I want to say is maybe the, the second to last or third to last song. So either like 20 or 30 minutes into it, really. And it's getting this like, you know, kind of echoey, trippy intro. And there was like a solid like 20 seconds where I just had to like stop for a second and just like sit there and feel it. <laughs> yeah. That's a good feeling. An elder, yeah. So an elder album while you're like super sleep deprived. That would be pretty nice. Yeah. It it uh it it definitely adds to like the whole psychedelic experience that they got going on there. Um, so that was kind of a long story just to talk about that. Now we get to the big criticism. Um, the mixing is dog shit, and this is a problem really? I had with Elder for you know again I guess the only work of theirs that I'm really familiar with is Reflections of a Floating World. That album sounds like shit. It sounds like fucking shit, and I pissed off that they would make an album that good and make it sound like shit and not in a good way like I, I will always say like daydream nation sounds like shit but it sounds like shit in a good way um fucking isn't anything it does not sounds sound like, like shit. shit no that 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 shit daydream it's such a fucking dry album dude it's it's that very like dry late 80s guitar production that just 99 of the time i'm i'm not feeling it at all um it doesn't sound as shit as sister like sister sounds way worse but sister also is not as um as uh what's what's the word um it's not as complex or or uh musically varied so it, it gets away with it because it's just being like yeah we're a noisy punk band and and we actually have hooks this time um but no daydream nation sounds like shit and i will not i will not be uh disagreed with on this because Nobody can disagree with me on that album. My opinions on that album are objectively correct, and that's fact. Um, Reflections of a Floating World sounds like shit. Um, inner 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 Passage? Am I forgetting the name already? Innate passage. passage. Sounds like shit. It sounds even worse. It actually sounds even worse than Reflections of a Floating World, dude. The bass is not bassy enough at all. I love that they're getting that gnarly tone out of it, and I understand that it has to be kind of drier because of that. But there's there's like no not enough low end to it, man. There's just not enough low end, and I need that in my stoner music. I need some low end on my stoner music, man. You can't do that to me. Can't do it, Elder. I'm, why would you do this? Normally, normally Elder albums are 
are kind of uniquely and characteristically fuzzy and really sludgy, I would say. Did you, did you feel the same way on this? Not very sludgy, no. And this is sort of what I was talking about where uh, early on I was saying it's that typical trajectory for a heavy band where their sound stays the same, but they kind of smooth it out over time. Uh, this is definitely a lot lighter than Reflections of a Floating World. And I'm guessing lighter than the album or albums that came between it as well. Yo, dog, you're supposed to hype this album. Uh, that's not That's not hyped right there. No, I mean, you know, to, to summarize, this is this is a good album. This is a, I wanted it to be. It, it wasn't going to be a great album. I knew it wasn't going to be a great album, uh, but I wanted it to be a pretty good album. And so for a good part of while it was kind of digesting, I wasn't really sure whether I was going to push a three point five or a three on it. Uh, but now I'm I'm pretty much decided that it's a three. It's it's a good album that if you're just really into their sound, it's probably gonna show up on like the the back half of your top twenty five or top fifty albums of the year or whatever. But I I don't see this being like anyone's favorite. Like if this is your favorite album of the year, then you're just probably a boring person. Um, right now it's sitting at a three point six eight after 374 reviews and that is enough to push it to number 43 on the year and bold it uh again yeah it's bolded and again this goes back to what we were talking about uh, a couple of weeks ago where it's just like this is stupid there's there's no there's no valid reason to say that a a five-day old album with less than 400 ratings and only a 3.68 so dumb is somewhere within like the top like 7500 albums of all time like right now it's numbers 6713 all time like this is fucking stupid that's ridiculous yo deadroot story that's a fucking good album got to say that's that's definitely one you want you want like prime elder you go to that album that that shit's very nice is it a is it so am I right that um I think uh, I think reflections of a floating world were like their commercial like breakout as far as like mm. popularity breakout and then uh, since then not so much <laughs> <laughs> but dead root stirring was probably I mean the first breakout you know of 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 fans they probably got a lot more fans at that point Yeah but I was I was going to ask was I right that um they start out like they they get a little smoother over time i would say so i mean well i would say reflections of a floating world versus dead root stirring i suppose maybe like a little bit but reflections of a floating world is still far sufficiently you know sludgy enough gross enough mucky enough to to really you know warrant a solid like you know, psychedelic sludge metal album. Or not even metal. Yeah, I mean stoner stoner metal. It's what it all is anyway. I'd say it still is. But I, I'll have to listen to a Nate Passage because I will listen to it because I will go to the gym and like I said, this is the new weightlifting music. And if it's less sludgy and it is extra clean, I am going to be upset because that shit is not going to hit me any personal re- personal maxes. Um, so, yeah, let's go. Let's go, Elder. Come on. You guys are like 
Elder's like definitely top five, top ten, like gym music. For me, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think this one, when I was kind of, you know, halfway through the first track, I want to say, when you when you sent that message that this is going to be like good uh, gym music, I, I was kind of feeling it because I was like, okay, you know, this is the first song. They're just kind of establishing the sound and they're going to really like just kind of drive it home over the next couple of tracks. But no, they don't, they don't really do that. So uh, I don't know. It, it, it could go either way. It could go either way. If I, if I tear a muscle in the gym, I'm blaming Elder <laughs> for being soft fucks. <laughs> Fucking sue them for damages. <laughs> I will sue them for damages. Your music was not hard enough, and I failed on my last rep. Thanks a lot, you bozos. So, uh, are you slapping a three on it? Yeah, this is a this is a three. It's a good three. If, if there was a such, if I was doing the whole fucking light, decent, strong Fandango Dango Dongo thing, uh, it would be a strong three. But it's it's just a three, man. Yeah, that's what we all think. Bad three is a two point five. <laughs> let's, be, let's be real with ourselves we always say that yeah it's a three but it's a good three <laughs> wink yeah all right all right keep telling keep telling yourself that <laughs> so speaking of uh speaking of uh speaking of, of of things of fruit like melon um watched a movie this week huh both of us watched a movie yeah we did it is It is on the Oscar nominated. I did not think that it would get Oscar nominated, but I saw that it was made by A24. I'm like, okay, they, they're kind of getting enough rep nowadays where they're constantly in the mix. They produce a lot of movies because they have a, a fucking lot of writers. Um, this is the number one rated ROAM movie of 2022. No, actually, I just refreshed the page. It's second. What? Oh, what the fuck? Okay, this doesn't... Wow, okay, no, it's second. But it has, like, over 4,000 more ratings than number two, than number one. Number one is a psychological drama called Tar, which I think has been, like, in the, in the news for, like, s- stuff as far as, like, Oscar season. Bro, that shit sounds boring as fuck. It, uh, it's got the LGBTQ tag on it. So it is everything, everywhere, all at once, which is the movie that we are talking about, which has 4,400 ratings about. And Tar has 350. Side note, Banshees only has 373. So uh, I guess what you got to do is make your your movie poster very, very a lot. Very eccentric, very colorful, very everything. Um, because most of these other movies in this top, like, they... Most of them barely crack, like uh, like triple digits. Even more, even and even less, like hit five hundred. Like the only one that I see is the Northman, which got twenty six hundred, and uh, the Batman, which okay, that barely that one's fifteenth on the year, and uh, and then Nope, which I did not even. I feel like that was released so long ago. Yeah, back in summer. Um. So yeah, this movie apparently I I didn't know it at the time. I didn't I didn't see it. I don't think I was watching. Wait, what the fuck is the Batman good? Uh, probably not. I mean the 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 listings of the chart on movies for this site are arguably worse than the one for music. 
So I would not expect it to be. Actually, I heard that the Batman was like far more serious and like probably better than like the ones since 20, 2012, which is I heard Dark Knight it, Rises. I heard, <laughs> I heard it was just um, Pattinson doing a doing a Pacific Northwest emo thing and listening to Nirvana the whole movie. Yo, I'd watch that. Gunshot. 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 <laughs> I mean, I mean, I would, I would watch it. It's, it's got a, it's got gangster film in the tag. It's got a, is it? I'm so. It takes. It rains all the time. The movie posters. It's raining. It takes place in Seattle, Lamal. No, I mean it takes place in. Yeah, but, Gotham. but Gotham's now rainy and 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 has Mount Rainier in the background. <laughs> <laughs> what if it's fucking pan and Mount Rainier is in the background? <laughs> <laughs> fucking laughs are. Wait, God oh, just dude. picked up and moved from Chicago to fucking Seattle. Wait, so the Batman is uh number one on IMDB for oh no, is this this is some person's list. Okay, this is some guy's list. Um I think. What is what is number one on IMDb? Oh, number one is uh, by popularity is is Black Panther. Um, how do how do you fucking navigate IMDb, dude? This is a garbage website. You, you go look on Letterbox and, and tell me where it is. There, I'm gonna try and figure this, um, this garbage. Website. I was actually I was on Letterbox, right? I don't have the list though. I don't know how to fucking find that. It's the list of the year. Popular films is ooh no here we go browse by. Oh God! Here we go. Here we go. Uh, number one is fucking the Batman. Oh wait. Oh, their algorithm is so stupid. I don't know how the oh by popularity. I guess number of ratings was Batman, and then second was Everything Everywhere All at Once. So I mean, back in like March or April when this release, this must have just been huge, and I just like totally missed it. Yeah, I mean, it fell into my policy of just no more superhero movies. Um, so I'm, I'm still, I'm not watching it. But anyway, anyway, I got us off topic. Let's get you get us back on topic. So, uh, so we got this movie. It's called Everything Everywhere All at Once. It's second on the year, but honestly, it, it's really first. I mean, it's got, it's it's behind in point zero eight average whatever nominal thing but it's got four thousand extra ratings and a fucking lot of reviews and a lot of comments on the comment box that have been got been getting removed because i have posted i posted two comments and both of them got removed so they're very upset at that comment box so much so that when you what you're probably fucking they probably de-weighted your ratings by this point too really why would they de-weight my ratings because they're like, oh, we got to delete this fucker's comment again. He's he's a he's no. a he's a far right troll. No, they wouldn't do. I don't think they would do that. It's too much work. Like they just want to keep it civil. Which, eh, I get that. But I I just I didn't even. I feel like the comment box should be the place that you literally just spew anything, and who cares? Like Wild West. But then the reviews, yeah, tailor that to whatever you want. You know, mainline content to look like that and isn't stupid. Yeah. It's it's stupid because they'll leave like dumb joke reviews up that get like 800 favorites, even though that's against the rules. And then they'll take they'll remove comments from the comment box where like like you're saying that should be the place where people are posting dumb jokes. 
Yeah, I uh, I think so. I I think that they selectively enforce that. I think they selectively enforce it by stuff that like um um is like super popular that that's getting a lot of traffic. Like I maybe maybe I'm sure that there's plenty of examples to the contrary, but. I feel like for this movie, they do a pretty good job as far as tailoring out the reviews that are the small, dumb jokes. I mean, a lot of the reviews are, you know, lengthy and lengthy in a lot of the stuff and, and they're assessing the movie or they're assessing the reaction. Some of them, it's just the reaction. Like there's one on page seven that says like, I laughed, I cried a number of times. I danced, I shot and I ate. I had many epiphanies and that's it. It's like, I that's a that common, that's, that's a comment box thing. Like get I the shit out of here. Person. But I mean, how many people can you really like, uh, you know, how many pe- how many Jannies can you really get to like tailor it perfectly exactly how you want the site to be? Like, it's just not it's not easy. Um, so, yeah, this movie is fucking long. It's two hours and 20 minutes, I want to say. Um, it is mostly uh, like a Chinese or a half Chinese uh, cast, I want to say. And. It's also got Jamie Lee Curtis in it, so that's yeah, he's in there. Um, she is the she's the freaking what's it called? She's the IRS agent, right? Jamie Lee yes. Curtis. Yeah, I want to say she's really fucking old. Um, but yeah, this is uh this has been getting called a lot of a lot of things uh, on uh, the comment box and the entire uh, the entire reviews. Uh, a lot of post blank, a lot of antithesis to this. Um, I'm gonna first off and say what the movie's about. So the idea is that you can that you're there's all these multiverses that are tuning in to each other, and the way that they do it is from one universe that has the power to do this, and they kind of grab you know the hand of god into like a person and get them to put on a little fucking little 1990s dell headset that you would fucking talk to (laughs) like the shittiest little piece of plastic but that is now that the way that you are traveling through universes because that just makes sense um into like your nearby universes and the way that you get into those nearby universes is by doing something incredibly unlikely um sorry my cat's fucking like running around the house um and what you do is you have to do something incredibly unlikely because then the odds that you gain this power are very very high uh which is called a jump pad um i i personally think that is a like a totally of course it's meant to be dumbed down and statistically dumbed down and stuff, but it's just insane how, like, to the degree that they dumb it down, like, the jump pad stuff in general. Um, but what you do is you gain powers and you use them to fight your current present scenario, which is, like, people coming to kill them or take them or something, which the villain... I don't get the villains in this movie at all. Like, what is what is their purpose? What is, what is any of this? Like, I... I also like I have a problem too when villains are so seemingly strong that they it, it it it's like just it becomes to a point where it's inconceivable to me that they could lose and then like at the end of the movie the good guys win like they always do and I'm just like 
really really like the power of love this is interstellar this is, this is what i said before <laughs> that you know what i am gonna admit at this point in my life yeah interstellar the ending is is fucking silly uh this movie's ending is is also is similarly fucking silly um i i found that that it was very funny that the main like the biggest i guess turning point in the very very end was sexuality validation um just just i'm i'm all right i'm all right <laughs> like all right thanks thank you thank you writer i appreciate that i'm not even against it but it's so goddamn cheesy that it just like it makes me ooze with just gross feelings of like this 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 is the movie this is it um gotta say uh my mom was not very happy with the penis fingers or the sausage fingers or what the hot dog fingers that's hot dogs yeah yeah hot dog universe was pretty uh pretty lame um but i thought it was i thought the one clip that it like went to like the 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 gorillas fighting each other and the one with hot dog fingers (laughs) that that was funny i thought that was fucking hilarious but then everything else i'm like uh lame it's just them with hot dog fingers and in weird clothes and stuff um there are there are a lot of very short like funny little clips like that in this movie. Uh, one gripe I have is that all of the combat sucks. It is it is. I saw I saw one of the reviews that it's like YouTube tier like fight skits and stuff. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, that's that's pretty much the level that this is. I mean, no, there there certainly was like no training. It's all done with camera angles. It's all really really over the top. Um, I will also say when they showed the the trophy at the very beginning for the IRS, like you are the best person at fucking people over, bro. I knew, I knew at that moment that was going up someone's butt. Yeah. I mean, that was obvious though. I called it. And yeah, it was probably a really obvious call, but I, I I was one of them. So hell yeah. That's, 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 um, that's Chekhov's butt plug. Um, you know, like Chekhov's gun for anybody doesn't know is, is, uh, an idea that's associated with a, I believe, Russian writer named Anton Chekhov, who made the point that, like, if you go out of your way to uh, show the reader, uh, to tell the reader about a gun at a certain point in the book, somebody has to get shot with that gun. Um, so, you know, Chekhov's butt plug. If you go out of your way to show the viewer a butt plug in your movie, it's got to go up someone's ass. Yeah, and it... it went up one and a half person's ass i'm not sure what the other one was it was like a skyscraper model or something but i thought the i thought the one spin move to pull them out at the same time that i i don't know if i like that or not i i still think it's kind of cheesy um i I thought the romance stuff you know with the husband and the and the laundry stuff was kind of cute and all that you know that they were trying to make it work i thought it was funny that he explained to her that she was the most useless one of her so that she could gain the most powers from nearby universes. So that was pretty funny too. Um, so there was the, there was the spinny, the spinny universe where she's a fucking sign holder. There's one universe where she's a chef. There's one universe where she's like a rich businesswoman, and her husband is like extra rich. Like I didn't get that one. That one. I do not know. It was like the movie one, I suppose that was one. Yeah. She was the karate artist. And like later in the movie, she's like having a very interpersonal 
like very direct conversation with her husband in that universe and it revolves around love or something and i did not get that what was going on there at all but that one seemed very important at the end and i was missing a lot of that um i so i guess to get a couple of quick thoughts off here um i thought that you know, if you're commenting about the the combat looking very cheesy and stuff with this, uh, the way I took that was that it was supposed to be sort of a almost a direct uh, callback to like early like American kung fu movies and stuff, where you know, there's that whole uh, it, it's like it's not supposed to look like they're actually doing like very well choreographed fighting because there's so many camera angles and effects going into it that I thought they were just kind of like making fun of that. Basically. Um, I didn't think it was intended to look like a, like, like good, you know, which uh, you, you can, you know, give the thing, Oh, well, it's supposed to be bad, uh, but no, I mean, I thought they were just kind of having fun with it and you know, I, I didn't take it too seriously. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't knock it for that. Um, I did think when they first started out with the fight scenes, though, when um, the husband is doing like the fanny pack kung fu, oh, that yeah. caught me off guard. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed that, man. I thought that was hilarious. Um, of all of the, the scenes that you mentioned um, and all the different universes and stuff, like, yeah, the, the hot dog finger one was the weirdest one for me. Um, and I, I did get like some, some pretty heavy laughs when they, showed that yeah it happened because this was some weird universe where the gorilla who developed the hot dog fingers was like the best fighter and so it just got passed down over time and that's how it happened um that was pretty funny and um my favorite fight scene out of all of it you, you brought up the um the pizza swirl um i thought that was pretty interesting that that was um that was a good way to give her the skills to fight in that manner um, was to put her in the reality where she's some nobody spinning a, a pizza sign and to give her a riot shield with that. And it's like yeah. the same principles. I was like, that is actually really creative. And that's something that I really liked about this movie was that it wasn't like most of the time, at least it wasn't like the skill that she learned um, in terms of fighting came from some life where she was a fighter like yeah there is that one universe where she's a like a master kung fu fighter or whatever um but like you know there's there's that scene where um the the girl with the dog is with the like small dog is attacking and she throws the dog and yeah the, that um, dog rest in peace that thing is yeah close. the main character who's evelyn um she I for, what there's a specific term that they use when somebody is like shifting universes or whatever. Do you remember what it was? Cause I don't. Well, they, uh, jump padding was the, was that specific maneuver, but I don't know. It's not called switching, but it's just, you press that green button. I can't remember the specific word for it either. There yeah, might they, be I, one. I don't remember though. I feel like it was something shifting. Uh, but anyway, uh, the way she gets out of that is by shifting to the universe where she was a chef and where she learned all those cutting techniques. And that's how she like ends up knowing how to cut the string or, or the whatever you want to call it, that the, the, the leash that the dog was attached to, to let it go flying. So I thought that kind of stuff was, was always really creative. Like they never just, 
I mean, yeah, they had to give her a, a, a Kung Fu universe to, to give her like the basic fight skills, but every sort of like advanced technique or very situational thing was her going to a universe that was just like, you would never think of that being somewhere where she would get the skill to carry over, you know? So that was, that was a lot of really cool stuff. Um, I, uh, at the beginning, as soon as I pressed play, I was like, I'm not going to like this movie because I am very sick of everything doing like this, what has become like very cliche, like neon blue and neon pink coloring. Um, to me, that kind of thing comes off as just lazy at this point. Like I love a movie that uses color in a really efficient way or, or has, you know, some sort of very bold stylistic choices. Um, I go back to, to scanners cause I've been obsessed with that movie for like the past year now. Um, Cronenberg in that movie uses a lot of reds and tan and, and brown and green. And that's just like the palette that he works with throughout that entire movie. But it's not like he doesn't just use a bunch of lights. Like it's always in the background or, or the character's clothing or like the hotel room or something. Um, so that's a really cool way to develop consistent imagery and, uh, and, colors and and whatnot um and then this movie starts off with just very bright uh neon blue and neon pink lights and i was like oh this is gonna be shit but thankfully they only did it there as far as i know like i didn't notice it anywhere else in the movie so i was really happy about that i don't know why they decided to open up i don't know if that was just like a bait and switch to piss people like me off but it worked so uh, bravo insert director name here um and that also in that first shot, like when they, they open the movie up with the camera reflecting out of a mirror or something or, or zooming into a mirror. I can't remember exactly. I thought that was pretty creative. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, some overall thoughts. This was, this was kind of a little too quirky for me, honestly. Um, the whole characters reacting with this very fast twitch dialogue and um, constantly shifting personalities and stuff. I, I, I don't really like that kind of thing. It's not, I'm not going to knock it to the point where I think it's like bad taste. Um, but I just think it's very like, that's like the, the, there's two sides of like classic millennial humor. I think, um, one of them is the very lolso random kind of thing. And the other is just the, we're going to be sarcastic all the time or like sarcastic, quippy, like Marvel movie kind of thing. I don't yeah. enjoy either of them. I think they're both bad. <laughs> yeah. I thought, I thought similarly to the Marvel, you know, dialogue style that it's very quick, maybe less like very shitty joke filled, but yeah, it is very quick and situational, like situational so much that it is written for a movie. It's not natural at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did walk away from this movie. Actually, another another criticism before I start um, talking about some good things again. Uh, I don't like multiverse stuff. I think it's lazy. I think it's the laziest trope as as far as like the past 10 years of of any sort of like science fiction or or closer to even like fantasy kind of thing goes, because it's basically just a pass to do anything. 
you don't you don't actually have to like start developing things once you start digging into the multiverse because you can you can do that very like dumb trope of like oh well this is you know if there's a reality where basically everything could happen then we we can just pull our solutions from the reality where the thing did happen and it's like you don't actually have to like develop a character when you do that um they i'm not going to say this movie didn't develop evelyn at all or uh joy at all because i mean there's there's some good scenes in there and stuff and they definitely care about the characters but nine times out of ten um i'm 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 not going to enjoy multiverse themed uh shows or movies and for the most part i I just think it's a it's a very lazy trope and i'm i'm kind of done with it at this point and it's also like it's it's that like it, it leans into that character that like oh i fucking love science kind of shit you know where you can kind of dress this absolutely unscientific concept up as something very highbrow and and intellectual where it's like no you're just you're just doing things like this is not i mean sure there there are like you know, accomplished physicists who are going to uh, tell you why multiverse theory is true. But at the same time, like fucking Newton was an alchemist. So that doesn't really say anything. Um, I just I'm, I'm I'm done with multiverse. I want I want it to be over with. I want that to be something that that should have been left in the in the 2000s and the 2010s. And I'm mad that we're carrying that into critically acclaimed works in the 2020s. You know, I kind of agree with you. It is a it is a bullshit pass. It's a total it's a total pass to it's a it's a it's a script opener. It's a it's a you know write me the write me the most wacky script. Write me the write me the you just have so much freedom and that is a bad thing. Having too much freedom with your script can can be such a bad thing. Because I'll be honest, half of the half of the multiverses I thought were boring. Like I didn't I didn't think that a you know, I didn't care about what was going on with it. You know, I didn't care about any, like, you know, the two, the IRS girl and, and, and Evelyn and the, and the sausage fingers, you know, I didn't care about any of that shit. I, and I, I said before, I didn't care about the, the stuff that was happening in the Kung Fu universe at the end of it. And joy as like the goddess, you know, that can do everything. And all, like, I didn't enjoy that joy. The joy that I enjoyed was the joy that woke up tied into a chair and her mom is like it was just after they all went out of one universe together and uh evelyn or no joy was tied up in a chair and evelyn you know knew that they had to kill her but she couldn't do it she really couldn't do it and then you had the faction of the other people that were like just gonna kill all of them and just be done with it uh that never really happened like that's yeah that entire faction just like ceased to matter at all like why even write it in so, you know, it's just to add pressure, I suppose. But that was the funniest spot was when Waymond and, and Joy were totally out of it. And everyone is like, just tie her up. We have to stab her or something. <laughs> and, you know, that I thought that was the funniest part. Um, and, you know, was was when the characters were genuine and they were not in their multiverse, you know, ideas or multiverse like realities. Um so yeah, I gotta say I, I agree with you because I thought that the I thought that the the multiverse I think at first Waymond was was pretty interesting with the multiverse facet on him as a character because he was showing how you know he was it was the it's the it's the first step, you know, it's first step into seeing what this universe is like, and that's what everyone remembers. 
and he did it really well. The purse stuff, like you said, was was very funny, and he was obviously kicking all sorts of butt, and then eventually he gets killed in that universe by the IRS girl. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that a lot of the character development was lacking with that sphere. Um, it was the grandfather, I suppose, that was the uh, was part of the leaders or something to kill all of them. I can't remember, but I didn't. I I didn't really care for. I mean, of course, he's the fucking Professor X bullshit, you know, with his with his stupid little go kart that was a wheelchair as well. Eh, just why don't you just make an X Men movie at that point, right? So yeah, yeah, you can go on. Oh, and I mean, I was gonna kind of to to I guess summarize what I was saying about the multiverse stuff is that. I guess what both of us are saying about it is that it enables two kinds of bad writing. One of them is that you get the whole, oh, also quirky kind of stuff where, oh, now we're in a, we're in a universe where we're rocks or something. And it's like, really? Like, come on. Uh, and you also enable just God mode assholes where anything can happen because you can reach into fucking an infinite number of universes to do whatever you want to do. So there's, there's never like, you you lose out on the sense of danger in anything because you know there's a universe where things are going to work out anyway and you can just tap into that universe um also the the grandfather character kind of to go back to what you were saying earlier where like the big defining emotional moment of the movie is like acceptance of joy sexuality um that is like the grandfather's only real purpose in the plot in this movie the, it's that the fact that I guess people assume that he's not going to be comfortable with uh, Joy liking girls. I don't know if they even give like too much evidence of that in the movie. Maybe I missed it. I'm not going to say they didn't give any evidence of it, but I didn't notice any. Um, and the fact that he let Evelyn go so that she could be happy. And that's a bad thing, apparently. Um and and maybe they reconcile that at the end of the movie where she realizes that she has to let joy go for her happiness. Um, but the grandfather as a character, not not really anything there. Wayman, like you're saying, he gets he at least gets to be different, like completely different people in the multiverse. So he uh, you get two different sides of that same character from that, but. Other than that, like, you know, IRS Lady is basically the same through the whole movie. So the only two characters that are even developed here are Evelyn and Joy. And I'd, I mean, I'd even argue Joy, like, does she really develop? No, you're right. Joy is pretty static throughout the whole thing. Yeah, so so it's pretty much it's pretty much the Evelyn movie. The, the Evelyn movie that kind of, you know... And it, and it is. I mean, like a lot of the, a lot of like, but I guess there were flashbacks or, or to other. It was a flashback of her and the guy getting the the coin laundromat stuff. You know, her running the business. It is. I think it is supposed to be. You know, a, a movie about her. At the end of the day, it's you know, being the mom, being the family mom is is a very big challenge because you have all those moving parts, both younger mm-hmm. and older. So, no, oh, you know, maybe you'd like to see some other people develop, you know, but it is at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's hers, you know, it's, that's, everything is chaos around her because she is the mom. So, you know what, I'm going to say, I'm, I'm surprised that then this is directed by, by two guys, 
you know, you'd think it was like a, a, a mom that directed it, but it wasn't. It's up to that. Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, you're right there. Um, my only big question here, um, like you talked about earlier, how it's kind of disappointing that the message at the end is like, just, just, bro, just like love people and stuff. Like, just love is the answer. Um, but what I kind of want to lean into a little bit here is that I was not sure, and maybe this is me trying to give this movie more credit than it's due. Um, I wasn't sure how much of this was supposed to be a metaphor and, and how much of it was supposed to be um, anything that actually, quote unquote, happened. You know what I mean? Like, how, like, part of me thinks that, or wants to think at least, that there are some scenes in here that are actual events happening in Evelyn's life. Um, obviously, the flashbacks are things that really happened. And a lot of the stuff surrounding the laundromat and the accountant or the IRS officer or whatever, um, that seems like stuff that is really happening. But I don't know how much of all this multiverse travel and, and, you know, Kung Fu fighting and shit is supposed to be even real in any universe and not just, um, some sort of metaphorical symbolism for, for Evelyn's experience navigating, you know, her, her father not being proud of her and her struggling with her relationship with her husband and her daughter and, going through all of these mental journeys um, to solve those problems. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, that is not something that crossed my mind throughout the, the movie as far as what's real or, and of course that leans into this fucking stupid meta, like not meta, I was going to say metaverse, multiverse uh, of, of things that are all happening. I would say, I would, I mean, I would, I don't, I don't see any reason to believe that, you know, the events that are happening in the present universe where her conscience is, I don't see any reason to believe why they wouldn't be happening. I think uh, maybe some of the ending stuff, you know, where she's in the, uh, you know, whether she's at the temple of the fucking black hole donut thing uh, or the, or like right after joy falls into it, maybe some of those things are are more metaphors. But yeah, I I I'd have a tough time gauging if that was the case. I don't I don't think that it, this movie's that complex in that regard. That some of the stuff is not actually happening, and it's just in Evelyn's head or even Joy's head. Yeah, I mean it. It, it it I'm absolutely like uh, aware of the idea that this could just be like you know me trying to insert more value into this movie than there is, or at least give it a, a higher concept than there actually is. And maybe it's just because the last uh, sort of good new movie that I watched was actually you know I'm thinking of of ending things or whatever where 
that one it's it you know Kaufman's clearly a guy who's trying to play with your perceptions of what's real and what's not um and I wanted this to at least be kind of similar to that I guess but I mean if it if it's not obvious that that's what's going on like then clearly it's at even if it is what's going on then the movie is missing the mark in some way mm-hmm. or if it's not at least like highly probable to to you know your your average viewer who has watched good movies um then yeah it it's still it's still missing then saw a uh, saw a comment about this movie that this movie is the antithesis to Synecdoche, New York, and to that, I say, please, please stop posting. <laughs> Do not submit any data to the internet ever again. Please just throw away the power supply cord that goes to your computer, or if you're if you're on a laptop, let the battery go to zero and never turn it back on. If it's a phone same thing but do not do not connect to the internet do not ever do not ever go into a public space on the internet ever again because i've got to say this movie probably gave me a small bit of like optimism for i would say like a day i still love synecdoche it's a very very deep movie and for this be uttered in the same breath. I am very upset at that. I am I am upset that my eyes glanced upon the pixels that made up the words of that post. I don't even know if I want to look back and find it because maybe it got deleted. Probably didn't because it was a while ago. I think I read how many comments are on that box? Like a thousand, right? Like a ton. I think I read some 400 yeah it's like about a thousand i read yeah. probably maybe maybe even 700 i, I read i tried to read a lot uh, of uh, of all the comments but that one that one that one really got my blood boiling for the first time in, in a good while where my blood was my i was not feeling good i was feeling very bad i was feeling very upset at that post because it is so ignorant so if this is the antithesis to synecdoche new york then synecdoche new york might as well be the fucking like the the jared leto batman movie that everything (laughs) sucks or the joker movie yeah so that's what i gotta say about that um that is a very bad comparison you know that Synecdoche is not even about like is not even like solely about like the opposite of optimism or like you know that love conquers all like that is not that is not what Synecdoche is even on a on a secondary slash primary level that is not the case there it is not even close Synecdoche's got just that one's got so many layers to it whereas this one maybe it's got two at most (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah. like let's be real <laughs> yeah this is this this is like two maybe three three if you're adding like secondary tags that's that's what i would say to that so do you have any final thoughts before i put on a score to this to this thing 
I am. Um, I like the comment by uh, shrieking in the void, which is the second comment in the box from what I see, where he just goes, or or he or she or they. Um, there's no way this is better than Terrifier two. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking. What were were we talking about Terrifier? Oh yeah, you were talking about Terrifier because yeah. you saw fucking Terrifier. <laughs> I'm like, where does it? Where does it sound familiar? <laughs> um, that's a good one. I I I. I think I disagree with Shrieking in the Void, but they're not that far off. Like, to, to get into the scores here, I'm giving this movie a three, which is, I think that's what I gave Terrifier to. I, I feel like I got about the same level of enjoyment out of that as I did this. I would probably agree. Yeah, like on a, on a terms of enjoyment thing, I could see that you would probably like Terrifier 2 about the same level as this movie. For everything, this how long is how long is Terrifier two? It's it's like like about the same length, like a, a good chunk God over damn. two hours. Why the hell do they make a horror movie over two hours? Just bad ideas. That's a that's a really bad idea. Well, I'm I'm following suit. I'm giving this a three. I was contemplating between a two point five and a three. I was contemplating this being very strongly in one direction at at the very first, at the very beginning. I'm like. And this is kind of like why I don't like I don't like X I don't like I guess you just call them X range like one dimensional scores. I don't like that because I feel very strongly about this album and by album I mean movie. <laughs> I was just going to let it slide. <laughs> I feel uh, I feel very strongly like this is there are so many boring like 2.5s and 3s that like this is not a boring 2.5 or 3. I feel very strongly about this in a lot of, in, in both positive and negative directions. So like a two-dimensional, you know, a two-dimensional rating system for this movie would be a lot more appropriate because I mean, this is this is, this is sharing space with like you know, middle-tier Disney movies, I guess. I don't know. Like, fucking, what else is in my threes on my music? I don't even know. Like, I guess Salt, I think Salt is one of those movies that's in there. With uh, Scarlett Johansson. What um? What would this two-dimensional movie scoring axis be? It would be like daring and safe, and then good and bad. Oh, I see. I actually like that a lot. I think that's a really that's good way idea. Way better than fucking stars. I'm I'm just gonna throw that out there. This oh, is definitely good. a daring movie, and I would say that it's like mid-tier on like good or bad or something. There are You're a right. lot of daring movies that are, no, there are a lot of safe movies that are mid-tier good, but they are, like, way worse. So maybe you, like, calculate the area of the of the two or some bullshit. I don't know. I'm, here I am yeah. trying to nerd up fucking ratings like a do stupid the, loser. Do the fucking integral under the curve. Um, but um, maybe it, not even, like, daring or safe. You could just do it based on, like, originality. Because I feel like this is this is not something that I have seen before like i can at least say that i walked out of this or or at, even while i was watching it i was like okay this is not you know this this is something new this is something that's at least kind of fresh um but you don't get a ton of points just for that like that that gets you over like a certain threshold if you're if you're working with original ideas and i i at least feel like i can't i can't knock it too hard but at the end of the day like if it's if it's not a good film it's not a good film Yo, there's a there's a Chinese version of this movie. I want to know how that got released over there. 
<laughs> I actually I had subtitles on it first when I started it because I thought it was all going to be in Chinese, and then they're like talking about. Oh yeah. Then the English subtitles came off, and I'm like, nope, got to turn them off and restart the movie now. Yeah, because they because they're talking to her, to her dad, and uh, you know they're like talking in half Chinese, half English, mm. and uh, <laughs> I thought that at first too. I think I was like, are the subtitles correct or are they not? I'm not really sure. But then more time went along. I'm like, look, I'm just gonna leave it until something bad happens. So yeah, I'm giving this. A, I'm giving this a three as well. I uh, I think the reason it's not a two point five dead on is because it's different. It gives. I mean, the different. You know, the fresh originality is like a is like a point five star in either direction. Could be could be really unoriginal, and that's why I don't like it as much. Um. But this one was definitely really original. I think, yeah, it was daring, and it was a, uh, it was like mid tier good. The ending kind of sucked, but there was no way they were ever gonna fucking wrap all that stuff up pretty well. That's why you don't have a free fucking script because then you do a lot of shit and you don't know how to fix it. Um, if they would have let Joy die at the end, I would have been like, okay, points for that. Yeah, but they would never do that because no. she's gay. They would never just let her die. And again, like there's there are so many directions you could have taken. Like, I mean, I'm sure they're they're explicit about this on some level, but there are a few different directions you could have taken. You know, the idea of joy wanting to kill itself. Like, <laughs> there's so many ways you could have taken that idea. Um, and I, you know, they're aware of it definitely, but I don't think they really pushed that theme as hard as they could. So there was a, this is, this is kind of a, a story that I'd heard a long, not a long time ago. It was a, it was some, I'd say maybe like four ish years ago. And it was a, it was a, someone that was pretty high in movies that was either a director or a producer, but he was talking, this is in the, this is a, this is a somewhat similar um, tangent. He was talking on the regard of of black actors in film and movies and that it was and that they wanted to keep a balance they wanted to maintain a balance between believability and inclusion and the basis of it was that they were kind of saying that it was very difficult to write black actors in as villains kind of nowadays because they're that's kind they're kind of trying to maybe undo something from before or they're trying to sway a different thing do you think that this movie had somewhat similar like that you know that the person that was that was that identified as gay had a struggle in the beginning of the movie like do you think that it bordered on unbelievability in the outcome um, and that it was too safe for like a two pc like outcome i i don't know about that um I guess I just I don't really understand the argument there. Um, are you saying that like maybe this strayed on the direction of the safer side because Joy is gay and they they don't want to um, put a, a gay character in a negative light? Not necessarily even in a negative light, but like anything other than like the the you know the what am I trying to say? the like sunset ending like the riding off into the sunset sort of ending like everything turned out a-okay and perfect and 
and there wasn't anything that was anything off of what you would expect the ending to be like it like so like so perfect of an ending that it almost becomes un un unbuyable you know unbelievable i don't think i follow it um i just think that's a lot of movies like i just think that's what a lot of people want is they want that riding off to the sunset ending yeah that's probably the case too i mean i i get I get where that argument could be coming from, but I at least don't see it as applied to this movie. Yeah, that's fair. Then I was thinking maybe it maybe it could have because, and I think the greater the you know with the greater plot being like love, of course everyone's gonna you know come out better in the end. But I think even like Evelyn and Wend Wendell, what's his name? Wendai Wendway, can't remember his name. When Waymond, it was a very odd name. Sorry, I've never heard the name Waymond before. Um, yeah, I thought that, you know, everyone would just come out the end, like, more loving, you know, because that's the entire build-up to the explosion that happens, is that the, the love the love juices come pouring out, and everyone loves each other. Gotta say, that scene at the, at the when when Evelyn starts smashing shit at the, the store, that was pretty funny. I, I, I like that scene a lot. She was just like, everything's over. Fucking, I'm getting repossessed. Kill it all. <laughs> Bro, I swear... Oil. At the ending with the um with the um the hot dog finger universe, there's a part where Evelyn and the IRS agent are putting their fingers in each other's mouths, and I swear there's like mustard on their faces or something at one point. Yeah, we didn't need that part of the universe. <laughs> like, the only funny part was like the cut to the monkeys, and that shit lasted like five seconds. Yeah. It was the only good part of that whole thing. She never picked up fucking hot dog finger skills. Never like importantly anyway. Yeah, so I mean, stupid. they they get into it at the end where she's saying that like that's part of the the beauty of the universe, or whatever is that even in a or the multiverse or whatever is that even in the universe where we don't have actual fingers or something, we get real like we learn how to do things with our feet instead. Um, so there's there's always the yeah. good in something. Yeah, um, was that good? Yeah. Was that a good was part? It? it it could have been, but it wasn't. You know why? That shit was that shit was fucking disgusting. I gotta say, <laughs> I was so upset with that fucking moment. <laughs> Playing the piano with me, shit, I'm so done. <laughs> I, you know what? That universe could have been deleted. The monkey scene was not worth it. <laughs> the monkey scene was not worth it. But yeah. I don't know. I don't got anything else to say. That was a different movie, and I enjoy uh, I enjoy getting into the the RYM shit flinging of the year. Uh, that's pretty fun to watch. I I don't I barely comment in comment boxes, and then I saw it got deleted. I'm like, are you I'm fucking serious? I got my fucking comment deleted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, last thing I would say about the movies, I I I, I do like actually agree with the overall you know big message there that in an uncaring and and terrible and and miserable universe and all that stuff that one of the best ways to find meaning in it is just to like help people and to care about other people and to to you know do something that puts a smile on someone else's face like i i agree with that but it's it's not an interesting statement <laughs> there's, yeah. there's, there's there's nothing it's to not, it you know yeah, there's no nuance whatsoever it's just it's very surface level. Yeah. So, uh, 
else we got in this list? I've got a business idea. This is I got, this is I my I, business I, idea is fucking stupid. You go on first. All right, b- before we get into the business idea, just to just to keep on just to stay on the movie train. Um I have the best movie of 2023. Um Oh it, yeah, shit. What was it? I uh I just became aware of this today and I am beyond excited for it. Like okay. this is going to be this is not going to be Kino. This is absolutely not going to be Kino, but it's probably going to be and I will I will make this statement right now, a very bold statement. You know, there's that there's 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 this upper tier of flicks. You know, I I think Pain and Gain is an amazing flick and I love that movie and I will watch it again in the very near future because some movie it's not like it's so bad it's a good thing anybody who says something is so bad it's good needs to jump off of a bridge because no it's just good in a different way stop trying to like be too cool for it just admit you like things that's not a bad thing to like yeah, things yeah true um there is a certain kind of movie that is just stylistically so forward and like brazen and just unashamed of itself that I, I can't help but like it. Pain and Gain is one of those movies. I have a feeling that this movie I just sent to you is going to be another one of those movies. This is a movie called Cocaine Bear. And it's about a bear who finds a duffel bag full of cocaine and I guess snorts it or eats it or something and goes on a murderous rampage. I'm fucking hyped, dude. I am fucking hyped. February 2023. Um, in the article that I just sent you from bloodydisgusting.com, um, the basic gist of the story is that a 175-pound black bear was found dead from an overdose after ingesting massive amounts of cocaine dropped into the woods by a drug smuggler. So that's like the real story. This is a real thing that happened in Kentucky in 1985. Uh, but what they do, instead of just having that be the movie, they have the bear uh, ingest the cocaine and uh, just go on an absolute fucking rampage. And I'm excited for it. It's got a cast full of a bunch of people that I don't give a shit about, but it's also got Ray Leone in it. And I think was supposed to be his last role that he filmed before he died. Holy fuck, this is going to be a must-watch movie. I'm dead serious. <laughs> Universal, Universal is making it. Ray Liotta's... <laughs> what? <laughs> Ray Liotta and Carrie Russell are in a movie about a cocaine bear. This is definitely worth watching. Elizabeth Banks. Fucking director is Elizabeth Banks. Dude, you know that Elizabeth Banks saw this story on like on like Facebook or Pinterest and she's like, what if we fucking made a movie about it? And then <laughs> universe and then she, you know, she's pulling her strings, you know, for being uh, on Charlie's Angels and stuff. And she's like, come on, let me do a movie. Let me do a movie. You can let everyone else do a movie. I'm gonna do a movie about the cocaine bear. Bro, if this movie sucks, I'm gonna be so upset because this is so much potential to be utter shit. <laughs> like, so the uh, the cinematographer here, he hasn't done work on too many films, but 
he did he he was working on Tim and Eric back in the day, man. So I'm they got they got a good absurdist cinematographer in here. Um, the uh, the what do you call the guy who makes the score? I guess I don't. Is there a name composer? for that? I, I guess, guess just a composer. composer. The composer is uh, the Devo guy, uh, Mark Mothersbaugh. Oh my god! <laughs> this is this is such a, a a strange. You got you got Tim and Eric guy. You got Devo guy. You got Ray Liotta. You got Elizabeth Banks in a movie about a cocaine bear. Uh, there's no way this is not at least going to be entertaining. Yeah, and you got, I, you got fucking. Gonna... As an actor, you got Christopher Hibju. You got fucking Tormund from Game of Thrones in this, man. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm watching this movie. All right, <laughs> all right, I'm watching this movie. This is, oh fuck yeah, Tormund's in it. I forgot he was such a. I, there's so many characters in Game of Thrones that just that fall by the wayside because they're in the earlier seasons or the even the mid seasons. And they, you don't remember them from the very end. But Tormund's Tormund's. I could see Tormund playing a fucking outback Kentucky guy. Dude, he's Norwegian. Do you think he's gonna do a pretty good American like <laughs> southern accent of like a some fat trucker in like Kentucky or somewhere? Like a bourbon I, drinker? I think he could do a so good, ginger. A good Kentucky accent for somebody who's not from Kentucky. Try to see like if people guys, people who yeah. are actually from there are gonna be like this is this is not accurate at all, but everyone else is gonna be like, lol, he sounds so southern. He better not be ginger in the movie because that'll be very distracting. Everyone's going to know who it is. And it's like the, the, you know, the actor from that thing who's in the movie, um, you know, that can't play any other roles. Guy's got to guy's got to dye his hair for this. I hope anyway, but I don't think that he would be willing to dye his hair for a fucking movie called cocaine bear directed by Elizabeth Banks. Maybe he would, but like, we'll, we'll, we'll just have to see. I hope he does. There's no fucking big ass gingers that are in fucking Kentucky that have that much hair. Right. Yeah, right. but they get they get bullied out of the gene pool. <laughs> right. So and I'm also, you know, uh do you do you have any other thoughts on Cocaine Bear before I move on to uh, another movie related topic that I I just became aware of? I'm still shocked that Universal is making this movie. <laughs> this this has to be I want to know what the budget is. I actually looked up if there was a trailer. There was not. Um, there is. There are a couple. There are a couple videos that are claiming to be trailers, and they're really shittily made YouTube videos that are just like skits of bears doing dumb shit. <laughs> um, but other than that, no. I I am gonna say that this is gonna be a must. I mean, not necessarily like a, like a must watch movie in the in the fact that, but it's it's a it's going to be a a train wreck in some way and for that reason it's a must watch that's what i got yeah yeah i mean i guess uh like this is this is going to be an entertaining movie it might at worst it's going to be like okay that was like worth the one watch that's that's like a solid 2.5 to me really if it's like you know maybe it's not something i'll carry with me but I'll remember doing that one watch and maybe it's just something like you go out and watch with your buddies or something like that's, there's always a good time for that. Uh, but I'm, I'm extremely excited for cocaine bear. Um, I might, I might, um, never mind. Anyway, have you heard the recent statements 
from a Mr. Uh, Quentin Tarantino. Um, that he was saying that all movies today stink, or that like uh, that most of that like cinema's in a drought comparatively to a lot of other decades. Sort of. That's sort of what he was saying. Um, this apparently came off the heels of Jennifer Aniston saying that there are no movie stars anymore. Um, which is a statement that, like, just taken at face value, I kind of agree with. Like, I don't, if you try and think about, like, who's even, like, the, who's the, who's the Tom Cruise or who's the Arnold Schwarzenegger or who's the, who's the, um, I'm trying to think of a woman here. Give me, help me out. Help me out. Who's the um, Natalie Portman? Even? I was going like, to say, like, Meryl Streep. Yeah, who's who's the fucking Meryl Streep? I don't know how that one didn't come come to me pretty quickly. Um, who's who's even Natalie the Emma Porton, Stone Gwyneth right Paltrow. now? Yeah, who who are any of them? Um, I don't know. You got like what? T- Timothy Chalamet? Is that how you say his name? Yeah, he's, he's Chalamet. You got the you got the young Tom Holland. Yeah, who's apparently a dick. Um, you got. Did I tell you that story? I feel like I did. I think you might have. But I can see him kind of being a dick. He looks like a he looks like a little boy. He doesn't look like a man. Timothy Chalamet it, looks like a young man. It might have been um in one of the hidden bonus episodes that if you're listening to this because we did pick up some new listeners from the last episode, if you email weeklydriveby at gmail dot com, uh, we will connect you with a Bitcoin address and we will ask for a certain amount of money. And if you send that certain amount of money, we'll give you access to all of the bonus episodes that nobody else has heard. But, you know, to get that plug out of the way. Um, I had a coworker at a job a while ago who uh, used to work in the service industry. And there was a movie being filmed in Birmingham that um, Tom Holland was a part of. And uh, he and, like, a few different people apparently came to a local restaurant and, you know, ordered, like, a a good meal, not, like, you know, a huge thing uh, because they're just a couple people or whatever. Um, But they ordered their meal and they did not tip. Tom Hall did not tip. Wow, what a bozo, man. So should I mean just why? Why you got to be like that, man? Yeah, yeah. And I I heard another story. I think from I don't know. I actually, I'm not gonna get into that one because I can't even remember if that was him or not. And I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, put too much on the guy's name if it's not him. But definitely, I remember that coworker telling me that Tom Holland did not tip, which is like, bro, you're a fucking you're you're a fucking rich asshole, dude. Come on, like you like I tip. Like, come on, <laughs> you know. Yeah, really. like, um, but yeah, you know, Jennifer Aniston was saying that there's just not really any big movie stars anymore. And, um, Quentin Tarantino was on a podcast with Tom Segura, comedian, uh, who was talking about this and, uh, Tarantino says, quote, I mean, that's one of the, and I'm not even putting them down, frankly, to tell you the truth. But that's one of the the legacy of the marvelization of Hollywood movies. I don't love them. No, I don't. I don't hate them. All right. But I don't love them. Right. I mean, look, I used to collect Marvel comics like crazy when I was a kid. Uh, There's an aspect that if these movies were coming out when I was in my 20s, I would totally be fucking happy and totally love them. I mean, they wouldn't be the only movies being made. 
they would be those movies amongst other movies. But, you know, I'm almost 60. So, yeah, no, I'm not quite as excited about them. Uh, and he goes on to say, part of the marvelization of Hollywood is you have all these actors who become famous playing these characters, but they're not movie stars, right? Captain America is the star or Thor is the star. I mean, I'm not the first person to say that. I think it's been said a zillion times, you know, but, you know, but it's like, you know, it's these franchise characters that become a star. How do you feel about that? Um, yeah, I would, I, I would say that I agree on the, on the basis. So, so there's a lot to say there. I'll start with the early part that there are no stars, uh, Hollywood stars. I agree, but part of that is the lack of attrition. Part of it is that, you know, you have these Gwyneth Paltrow's, Jennifer, uh, Jessica Chastain's, like all of these actors and actresses that have been around for, you know, your Brad Pitt's, your Tom Cruise just did fucking Top Gun Maverick, and that was one of the biggest selling things. You know, people, the, the people that are going and seeing the movies are of the age that, for the most part, you know, still remember when they were those movie stars that were younger and, and, and a lot of the stuff that was in like the 90s and, and early 2000s. Um, so I got to say, there's just been no attrition. You, yeah, a lot of it is a marvelization that's happened since like the, the very, very end of the 2000s. But that does not excuse the lack of, you know, other movies to be made and stuff. You know, I, I, I just think that, you know, to, 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 to call it all marvelization is, is pretty rough to me. I think I, I really just don't agree with that. Um, I think it's a big part of it, but I, I, I guess, I guess he's really trying not to hit all the nuances. I mean, I guess to a, to a very basic point, I would probably agree. Marvel movies, I mean, how many get released per year? At least two, three, right? Probably like three-ish. Probably, and, yeah. And even, I mean, Marvelization does not end at just Marvel movies. Like DC movies, you have, uh, I mean, I, I would, I guess I'd include Disney stuff into that too, because it's the franchisation of movies. Maybe not necessarily Marvelization, but the franchisation where you have your franchise stars. I mean, in Disney, you have all of the new movies that are coming out. You have uh, all the Marvel movies, all the... I, I would really say it's franchisation more so than, than Marvelization. I think Marvel is, is a very common, like, uh, boogeyman for a lot of, you know, bigwigs in Hollywood to point their finger at and use as an endless uses an endless excuse because, you know, a lot of people in the service agree with it, but it's not just Marvel. Like, there's plenty of other, there's plenty of other um, problems. You know, Jurassic, like what? Didn't a new Jurassic Park movie come out this year? Like, I think so. <laughs> like, like, come on. That's not, like, it's like seriously. The one thing that did end was Indiana Jones because Daniel Craig's just like, I'm not fucking, I'm, goodbye. I'm not doing this shit. Um, and he was, I think he was the younger one that did it because of uh didn't he do one of the indiana jones movies daniel craig i know originally it was uh, harrison ford and stuff and he just got too old to do them but i don't know maybe i'm maybe i'm thinking of a different movie but i think it really boils down to franchisation and they're just salty that they're not getting the money that marvel is 
Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I I hadn't. I mean, it's the like what I was talking about even earlier about you know not deciding not to see any more superhero movies or I've I've talked before about like not not going to see like reboots or remakes or sequels. Um, I think that's a good point to to call it the franchisization or for franchisation or however you want to say that rather than the marvelization um because that's what it comes down to at the end of the day and it seems like even in how tarantino's talking about it where he says you know if i was in my 20s i i would have loved it sure you know when he makes a statement like that it sounds like he's he's putting the the blame for the problem on the viewers of these movies rather than the studios who make the movies like the disney's or the the dc or whoever because you know i mean you can't blame them at least in a in a market logic sense where it's it's a proven formula uh it's it's ip that everybody recognizes so you know they have a responsibility to make as much money as possible so of course they're going to keep doing this and you know how how can you even really get mad at it you know like they're just they're just doing what they're supposed to do um so there's like you're saying, there's there's a there's a lot more nuance to it than just saying, okay, Marvel did it, so it's bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I would say so. I, uh, I I I would just you know point at them and say you know make a lot better movies, and a lot of them are. I think, uh, but whenever there's a new new face in the game, for let's let's just take an instance a twenty four. I don't think that you get a lot of the big writers and directors going for A24. Maybe it's because their budget's not big enough. Well, then if you want to see good movies, these writers and producers and directors maybe should take a little bit less money if they want to see these arts get made because they're getting made with, you know, these directors that don't take a giant cut. And I did forget to say, but the secondary writer, Dan Schneider or something, Schneider, he is from Birmingham, Alabama. Yay! Yay! Okay. All right. Cool. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I would say. I'd say it all boils down to money, and it's eating itself. You know what? Yeah, I'm fine with that. There's still good movies every now and then that are coming out, like enough for me to to be satisfied with. Yeah, and I guess you know, there's there's a even a bigger point about like, has Hollywood ever really been that good? <laughs> Like, yeah. is it like, are we really mad that there are no movie stars anymore? Is that like a problem or is it just, we didn't really need them in the first place. Old man yells at cloud. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would say it's, 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 it's just dying. It's just the, the money's eating itself and I'm, I'm fine with it. And I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. I, I kind of want it to get a little bit more uncomfortable for them. That's what I'd like. Because then once it gets uncomfortable for them, then you'll start seeing actually good movies. Then things will actually happen. Just people won't budge because they're too comfortable with every, how everything is. So you have to find the find the stuff where people are ambitious. You know, that's where ambition comes from, a struggle. So, so none, now, of them, okay. none of them are struggling. I, I do kind of, I don't know if we've touched on this before. I feel like this is a, uh, a running theme of the show that we've kind of maybe glossed over a couple of times, but never really dug into because I know we've talked about how we've seen like the same pop stars 
on the music charts for like the past 10 years and maybe every every couple of years there's some new person who is there for like five years or so or, or another seven years or something but like you know you, you're still seeing like drake coming up with like three top 10 hits every year or something and it's the same thing when you're talking about uh franchisation of of hollywood where you're seeing three marvel movies every year come up and and blow up the box office and maybe every few years a new franchise gets started or uh some you know some somebody else reboots uh the old franchise with a with a new set of coat or uh, i'm sorry a new uh set of new coat of paint wow (laughs) you almost had that (laughs) um why i mean you could probably write a fucking book on this kind of topic but like why is that happening? <laughs> like, has it always been that? I can't. I can't say if it's always been that. I don't know enough to say if it's always been that way or not. But I feel like at least twenty years ago, uh, I don't know. You had you had the changing of the guard happen a bit more often, but it seems like that slowed down today. It's incredibly slowed down because people because these actors and actresses and and every whatsoever realize that you could just fucking make movies at infinitum until you stop getting money and even even long time beyond that just on name recognition there's plenty it's there's plenty of times you could take a loss like that and and studios won't care but if you do it regularly then you're then you're cooked but you just have to hit now and then like and then this new spielberg the fablemans that one i've heard a lot of very bland vanilla things about this about this movie very much so so I'm I I may watch it, but the premise looks so fucking boring and self-jerking that it'll probably win a lot of Oscars. Yeah, that's been Spielberg for like the past ten, if not fifteen years. Yeah. So. So yeah, I uh, do. You have anything else to add to this one? I think I'm gonna do the business, the business idea, and then and then call it. No, I got I got nothing today. My uh my business idea. This this is a fucking stupid idea. So I've I've always thought about the idea as I walk as I walk around my college campus, as I walk past the giant the giant middle field, which is which is called the drill field. I have thought, dude, what if people just did a pop up concert there? And I thought like the logistics of how it would work. You would need probably a couple like generators to like you know get like amps working out there and stuff. And the generators run at 60 hertz. So I'm thinking, like, what if you make this incredibly noisy-ass thing that just incorporates the noise of the generators into the music? The constant, like, 60 hertz humming would would have to be incorporated somehow. So I'm, like, thinking, like, what genres would work really well with that? uh, With constant noise at, like, a low frequency. Hmm. Thinking stoner rock and, 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 and hard shoegaze and like drone to some degree and none of these ideas scream like pop-up concert would be fun to go to <laughs> i would love a, a pop-up sun concert a pop-up you know, sun come concert up fucking, robes. fucking circle um dudes just come out plug in the amps and just that would be great i uh that is I, I just don't get it. I don't get like what that would look like. I mean, you'd probably have, I don't know how many outlets are on a generator. 
I know that there's a that you can't have a number of them, and that they some of them, some of the portable the portable ones are not super powerful. So I don't know, man. I know that maybe you'd have two or three for for your concert. Your drum, I mean, I suppose your drum amplifier, your uh, your microphone, your 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 a couple of your amps, and I guess the pedal lead-ins. Maybe three to four. I don't know, but you'd need you'd need a number of generators. You'd have to tune it all before you get out there, and then you just start setting up, and then you just play music, and maybe people like come around, and that's it. That's my whole business idea: is it is pop up concerts, but you do them at like very specific locations to where it like becomes a public thing, and you tell nobody before. You tell literally zero people, but you just go at like opportune times where you have a lot of foot traffic, and like there you go. That's it. That's the business idea. Yeah, you're going to get people dead over this. Like you're going to get like Travis Scott doing a pop-up concert somewhere and somebody some he's going to leak it to somebody on Instagram or something and some influencer is going to get a hold of it and tell people about it and you're going to get more people trampled. Um you wouldn't get people trampled at like a giant field like that. What do you That's like festival too. Yes. No one gets trampled at festivals. Like the only reason the Travis Scott thing happened is because they slowly opened the thing to where like the herd of people had been standing to where you had to push through and all those stupid 16 and 15 year olds died because they're weak and small and all the gigantic people pushed them aside like they were small little ragdoll babies and you don't have this at a pop-up concert. It's a slow generation. It's not like an instant open the fence and shit. I don't think that works in the days of internet clout. I just don't. <laughs> this seems like a recipe for something bad. No, that's happen. the whole thing. It's like, you know, you could say it like, you know, your pop-up concert would happen and like people would post about it on like, you know, the thing. And and that's kind of it. Like most of the show would be at colleges, of course, just because it's like, you know, a lot of young people gathered around and that's kind of like what you can do. Um yeah, what do, you, guess, what do you think? I guess if like I don't know. I mean, the the organizer of it would have to book like exclusively kind of smaller acts, but I think big acts would eventually catch on to it and there'd be death and lawsuits, man. So I mean I think you could you could make a good a good performance out of like some some Mindy bands doing this kind of thing, you know, like some people who maybe some people will get like played on a college radio or something if they show. I would up on say even campus. smaller than that, but yeah, maybe maybe that's maybe that size is probably pretty close. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, we wouldn't have these problems with with like liabilities and stuff if we just shot lawyers. I agree with that actually. There, do you know how many problems we'd solve? Do you know how many fun things that we can't do because of lawyers existing? Like they have ruined a good part of our society. Yeah. That's 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 the closing note. Shoot lawyers. We we don't we actually you know we don't advocate <laughs> we'll for on violence on the weekly drive by, but if you do have to do violence, like if somebody's holding a gun to your head, like they're about to do violence to you, but they say, "All right, I'm not going to do violence to you if you do violence to one other person." You should probably pick like a lawyer or a politician. I'd pick a lawyer. I would probably pick a lawyer because all the politicians are lawyers anyway. Yeah, yeah. Like most politicians are lawyers. So if you if you aim for a politician, you'll probably get a lawyer. That's I'm I'm not advocating for 
anybody to do any kind of violence to anybody, but as a thought experiment. And I'm saying purely hypothetically that, you know, it wouldn't be a bad idea, you know, purely hypothetically. Yeah. Suck my dick, Apple. <laughs> I think I'm just going to end it there. Like, I'm just going to cut it after that. <laughs> Suck my dick, Apple. <laughs> All right. Oh, well. but did you hear? Um, well, this isn't like show conversation, uh, but, you know, the whole thing about Elon and Apple. Yeah, it's fucking stupid. It's the same thing that uh, didn't someone else, someone else, uh, like some stupid game company, uh, like Epic Games, challenged Apple over this exact same thing, like a year or a year and a half ago, and it went to court. It was like this whole case. Like it's the exact same thing. It's the it's Apple taking money from the people that um, operate on their app store. This is like this. Ca- this court case has already been done, and I. I can't remember who won it. I don't even know if it was resolved, but it was a it was a wild court case. But it's it's never going to go into court. Like this is such a stupid thing. I don't I don't I don't see it going to to court at all because it's already been taken care of. And I suppose I guess Apple won because if they're still doing it, then they must have. Like I mean, it is their entire operating system, and I think it is stupid. But yeah, you just go pick up and leave. Maybe don't get people to buy iPhones like stupid drones. Yeah, no, I mean, I was just, I just thought it was funny um, that uh, they were like pulling their ads. They were, they were not spending as much advertising oh, yeah. on Twitter. And Elon was like, "What, Apple? Do you hate free speech?" And it's like, no, that's that's literally Apple using their free speech. But yeah, okay, he's a he's a fucking bozo. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I I can't wait till he's not in the news anymore. At some point, he's gonna fuck off to China because everyone in the U.S. is gonna hate him, and then you know we'll never hear about him again. Hopefully. Dying for that to happen. No, no, not gonna happen, man. Uh give it a give it uh ten years before he uh, runs for the House of Reps. House of Reps is too small for him. No. What fucking House of Reps? No way. He would run he's, for minimum Senate. No, he's not he's not gonna win a Senate seat, but fucking anybody. Well can can he even run for any kind of government? Isn't he like South African or something? You could you, you couldn't run for president, but I'm sure if you lived in a state long enough, then you can become a you can become a uh, what's it called you know a representative in some regard there. But I just don't see it. He's also never going to do that. He's not a public servant. He's a fucking private servant. I mean, it's just what it is yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah, you're right. Um, foreign-born senators need only nine years of U.S. citizenship to qualify for office. That's just qualification. Like, you know, the ones that do are foreign, they're a lot longer. I didn't even know that. Have who are there foreign senators? Do we have those? Um, do you count ones that have dual citizenship by chance? Depends on which came first, I guess. Yeah, you would probably think that, huh? Yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna say, like, you could look that up. I'm not. I'm not going to say anything. But yeah, no. You know, um, list yeah. of list of United States senators uh, born outside of the United States. It's a it's a relatively short list, and it's mostly people from the fucking UK. Uh, oh wow, okay. And a lot of this is in like the 1800s, even. Oh okay. Well, that's it's like who cares then? Let's see if I sort it by year. Um, we currently have five senators who were 
born outside of the United States. Um, you have okay if they're on like military bases in like Pacific Pacific Ocean that they do not count. They're just part of the U.S. Get over it. It it doesn't say exactly the location. It just lists the country and the which country I guess. So you have uh, to get to get the easy one out of the way. Actually, I can't believe I forgot this one. You have Ted, Ted Cruz. Cruz yeah, I was going to say Ted Cruz. You have Michael Bennett of Colorado, who's a Democrat, and he was born in India, actually. That's fucking um, weird. I, that, that guy's a bozo. He's a total establishment bozo. But uh, yeah. who else we got? You got, you got Maisie Hirono of uh, Hawaii. Oh, where Democrat. is she born? That's one I was going to say in... that I would guess her, if, I, if anyone. She was born in Japan. Okay. Interesting. Um, this one, I, I didn't know. Um, yeah. Tammy Duckworth of Illinois. Yeah, where she was, she was born on a base, or was she born in the Philippines? She was born in Thailand, so okay. it might have been a base, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure on that. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I remember her being like having a foreign background aside the service. Yeah, and you got uh, Chris Van Hollen of Maryland, who was born in Pakistan, actually. It's really, uh, he's random. a white dude, so. Yeah, so is the guy from Colorado. (laughs) Yeah, those those are probably bases. Yeah, that's weird as shit. I'm uh, I'm calling it. I'm tired. It's eleven o'clock. Yeah, it's eleven o'clock. This has been this has been the weekly drive by. What you say about the long haul?